1: Okay, we are back here doing the Atlantic division and recording this one on Saturday. And reminder for our criteria for this show, we're going to look at the development of the young players with three or fewer years of experience, generally, unless it's someone who doesn't have much of a track record at the NBA level this year. And For players who are not rookies and have an adequate sample size in both years, we're going to give players a 1 through 10 development rating. Let us begin here with the New York Knickerbockers and their prize number three overall pick in 2019, RJ Barrett.
2: RJ Barrett, this was his age 19 season and rookie year, of course, coming out of Duke. The basic top line stats, 14 points, 5 rebounds, 2.5 assists in 30 minutes a game on the Knicks. Uh, 11 PER, 48% true shooting on 24 usage. And I would say overall an encouraging thing overall. From that he shot 32% on threes, 5.6 per hundred possessions, a little, I mean, lower than you would want. And worth noting, they're almost all assisted. This is not off the dribble shooting from him, but still 32% isn't horrendous.
1: No, it's not. Again, no, noting that they're pretty much all catch and shoots, uh, it lowers your opinion of that a little bit. And also he started off red hot from three relatively and cooled off uh, throughout the course of the season before we talk about some some more of the stats uh, and some of our observations really worth noting that his situation was terrible this year the big joke was oh he had no spacing at duke with basically him and zion and uh cam reddish the only guy on the team who shot threes and basically that was kind of the same thing that he had this year where maybe they would have one decent three-point shooter on the floor most of the time usually playing with two bigs he didn't shoot threes and in julius Randle also Randall, a guy who likes to work in isolation close to the basket. So he was driving into a crowd a ton and that doesn't excuse a lot of his difficulties, but it does place them into context a little bit to note that certainly in terms of the spacing, the ability to actually be set up by somebody else. Uh, all of that was not helping him this year uh, at a minimum, not to say that, you know, I'm super high on him and it was all the situation's fault, but those are somewhat mitigating
2: factors. Yeah, I would agree. And I think that context can be extremely important in terms of, you know, analyzing what a young player can do and especially when that context can and hopefully in his case will change moving forward. And yeah, I, I think you see that on a lot of the, especially the two point, the two point elements and the, the on-off metrics aren't going to like him. But I think that's true. I talked about this a lot in the case of De'Aaron Fox. Remember, De'Aaron Fox's rookie year was the lowest player in the entire league in RPM. And one of the theories that I espoused there was that teams with bad starters and decent backups, get the, the starters get shellacked in the on-off, you know, a PIPM and RPM and all that. And I think some of that is true for some of the players. The Knicks are a prominent example of it this year because they're, they're, their backups aren't that bad, but their starters compared to the rest of the league are pretty rough.
1: So let's get into some of the numbers here. Uh, In terms of high level, Danny, uh, you had a few more stats that that you wanted to get into before I I get into some of the situational stuff.
2: Sure. Uh, So 43% on two-pointers. 57% 57% in the area. you'd like to see that go up but it's not abysmal but then 27% on floaters and 30% on long twos and I brought up the on off metric stuff uh RPM he was a significant negative on both ends of the floor the number 123 shooting guard of 133 so just below the, just above the bottom 10 and um yeah. 105 and
1: worth noting that includes like a bunch of two-way guys who it does are playing as well right like yeah, who had uh, enough minutes yeah
2: and, and then and our good friend Anthony Simons and uh Similar story in PIPM. He was 505th out of 516 players who were who count played enough to qualify for PIPM.
1: Yeah. So I mean that number. Remember that non-two ways only comprise about 450 players. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh and, and give you some more stats uh, on him you know pick and roll ball handler is what he did the most 28 percent of his possessions ugly numbers there 0.68 points per possession that's 24th percentile really struggled at all three levels as a pick and roll ball handler trying to finish at the rim in particular it it was not good 15th percentile there runners floaters uh, all that it just uh, did not look good and then on film he really just is not able to create the separation to get open even and then he doesn't really have the shot making to make shots when it when he does get open a, l- a lot of the stuff that he's shooting is contested he is aggressive he's strong he likes to use his big body to work in a position but he's not getting by guys and uh that is a, a major problem um transition the numbers were really really terrible as well and it's not a lot of times you'll see that especially with young players where it's just because they're turning it over in transition but that's not the the case with him i mean he just had massive struggles finishing in transition as well so it's uh
2: well and when you add in assists so like rj barrett as a transition score 0.94 points per possession which you know that's high except not in transition where points are easier to come by and so he's actually 16th percentile per synergy split and when you add in assists or passing opportunities he drops to eighth percentile
1: that's in transition
2: in transition yeah
1: i didn't realize synergy had that number
2: yeah it's 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 above it and plays out oh
1: yeah all right uh this is also kind of funny on spot ups uh, where he again struggled some and and remember that spot ups are not only just shooting it but just you're getting the ball on a closeout and attacking on the drive he's a very left-handed player plays very much with his left side forward when he drives left out of spot ups Very effective, 84th percentile there, 15 out of 27 got to the line a fair amount. When he drives right, he shot four out of 28, driving to his right hand. Now, interesting that he goes left and right about the same. I think I've said this before, but I think he does have a pretty good awareness of needing to become a more ambidextrous player trying to shoot more with his right hands i mean it certainly does not come natural to him but he is making improvements in that area he continues to even had a, a couple of ready floaters at times uh one nice bright spot was posting up in particular you would See him with transition post ups against smaller players right at the charge circle. And, you know, he doesn't have like an unbelievable post game. Also, interestingly, a lot of his ISOs would kind of turn into post ups as well against a smaller player. And he can get some spin moves. Usually we'll just kind of overpower the guy going to his right shoulder. But that actually worked. That was uh, really the only way uh in which he proved it to be efficient this season. So I, I guess if we're just going to take stock of him overall, I mean, let's say it does work out for him. What do you see his bread and butter being? as a score.
2: I, I'm still concerned about his shot off the dribble. And for most players who are pick and roll scores, that can be an issue. I could see him being an opportunistic, you know, I, I, I hope he can do better in transition, you know, transition spot ups aren't terrible and he can drive off spot up too. So like that kind of secondary ball handler skill set, I think he has some of that already, especially if you can get more directionally versatile. So I, I think it's those elements rather than the ball scoring with the ball in his hands, especially with the, the basic idea that if, RJ Barrett is a starter, then I think your team is going to need somebody better with the ball in their hands in order to have a passable offense.
1: Yeah, so it's just again with the fact that he's not that quick and he doesn't have a great mid ranger you know, some guys with his kind of game and body type will maybe they can make a living by just using their size, working into a position in the mid-range, rising up uh, for short jump shots, uh, overpowering guys, but you know, it doesn't look like he's going to become that type of a shooter and As a finisher, again, he's not getting great separation. I mean, maybe, this is kind of funny, actually. I think I would watch some Joe Ingles tape if I were him. Uh, A a guy who, you know, RJ has more athleticism than him, but a very left-handed player as well. But someone who is... Still can be decent out of the pick and roll. Uh, RJ could be a more dynamic scorer than ingles but as a finisher as well, where he can just slow down and, and basically just take the air out of the defense. So, guys who aren't moving kind of take the elasticity out of their jump and just make everyone slow down to a crawl and then shoot it. You know, I, I think that's something that could be useful for him. But, you know, overall, I just don't see what it looks like for him. The passing, again, given the situation, the lack of spacing was a little more difficult, but 2.5 assists. I mean, that's not particularly impressive. I mean, uh, Julius Randle had a larger assist percentage than R.J. Barrett did this year uh, on this team, and so uh, I'm uh, I'm not optimistic uh, on R.J. Barrett right now, and he has a very low floor because if he doesn't work out, As a creator, you struggle to think of what skills he can fall back. I mean, I think he can play reasonably hard. He's a decent rebounder, although the Knicks have so many rebounders that his rebounding stats weren't that amazing this year. But I I think he can be a really good rebounder. You know, maybe he can get to the line more often uh, as well with his deliberate physical style. Uh, Get some post-ups, but yeah, it's just... The Knicks are talking about, okay, they want to builder on him, and yes, I think that's admirable because they just overall had so little spacing, but I don't see him at all as a potential foundational piece going forward right now.
2: Not right now, and it, there there are things that I think both of us like about his game, and but they are more complementary pieces, you know, his rebounding, he can be strong, and so... It, yeah,
1: complementary part of his game, not necessarily complementing other players.
2: Right. Right. And so it's, but it's, you have to have those main points. You have to have some, some big sales, sales pitch in order to make those other points more value, valuable. And so that's what I'm, that's what really concerns me about RJ. And, yeah. and,
1: he, and he is high character. He does yes. work hard. You know, that's, that's like a reason for optimism. I think he, he's going to play hard. So, you know, I think he can maximize what he's got to be. But just ultimately, the, the physical tools are just not that unbelievable and he's not a natural shooter and so all right if you don't have either of those two things what are you in today's nba it's it's tough to say
2: it is uh let's go to somebody who does have physical tools mitchell robinson oh, yeah. this was his age 21 season 10 points seven rebounds two blocks in 23 minutes a game started only seven times this year for the next 23 5 per number one true shooting in the nba 73 percent on just 13 usage uh which is actually up from 12 percent usage as a rookie and the reason he is a true shooting monster is that he takes 92.4% of his shots in the restricted area and makes 78% of them. A full 62% of the shots Mitchell Mitchell Robinson attempts are dunks.
1: Yeah, I mean, that wouldn't surprise me if that were the highest in the NBA and you talk about his offense and, and you mentioned the usage right being only 13% again that's part i think because of this Knicks situation they don't have dynamic pick and roll ball handlers he's almost always got a, another big on the floor next to him um but compare him to say Rudy Gobert right you mentioned the usage only 13% Rudy Gobert you know i think similar offensive player eventually it uh, would be the hope and Rudy Gobert usually has usage rates in like the 16, 17% range uh, and, you know, similar level of efficiency to be sure. So that's really where you want to get him to. I think offensively, they just have not used him very well. You know, I I don't, he, there's been talk that he's going to expand his jump shot out. That's just not going to happen. Uh, I don't think, Did he get better from the foul line this year? I forgot he was 57% this year.
2: Yeah. 57% this year and 60% last year. So no. And he uh, got there about the same amount per hundred possessions.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, that's at least below, like, hacker level. Uh, but that's one thing where you'd like to see him get better. But with that free throw percentage, it's uh, unlikely it's going to be, you know... I, I mean, there's talks that he was like, practicing three corners. It's like, all right, come on. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, th- those block percentages are nasty eight percent of opponents twos that's right up there top of the league offensive rebounding is outstanding as well not a great defensive rebounder but again this is those numbers are gonna be a little wonky on this knicks team where they're playing traditional power forwards and you've got alfred payton's a good rebounder for his position barrett's good rebounder for his position i mean this knicks team was one of the best rebounding teams in the nba so i'm not so concerned about his defensive rebounding you know you might say hey he chases too many blocks uh but that's fine because they got they had other players uh, who could rebound here. Um, overall numbers, uh, like on-off stuff was pretty good, right?
2: Absolutely. So RPM has him as a positive on both ends of the floor. The number 18 center, PIPM, has him as a positive on both ends of the floor. Number 44 overall, they don't do positional rankings. And... It is worth mentioning, I talked about this a little bit with R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson is on the other side of the De'Aaron Fox problem as R.J. Barrett. He is a backup on a team with shitty starters, so the the on-off metrics are going to be apportioning a lot more credit in those circumstances, as I understand it, and it's natural to give Mitchell Robinson a portion of that credit because he's a talented player who does a lot of the things well that on-off stuff in particular rewards.
1: So watching some of his defensive film, uh, he faced a decent number of possessions as an isolation defender off of pick and roll switches and thought he was okay there but not great uh although he i think he has potential to look a lot better i mean just so, with his incredible length he can definitely lay off guys um you know his quick reactivity was not as good as say someone like robert williams who we're going to talk about more in this situation those guys kind of seem like similar players but they actually had some very important differences defensively which we'll get to so you know his lateral quickness is not quite as good as his vertical quickness or his straight line quickness but you know, he stayed in front of guys decently well they're able to get open for jumpers but then when they would try and drive he was able to track back on them and really bother their shots uh, uh, quite a bit But I thought this number was a crazy one. So Synergy breaks it down when players use a screen in in pick and roll. It breaks it down into jump shots, runners, and at the rim. When opponent pick and roll ball handlers tried to shoot at the rim against Mitchell Robinson out of pick and roll, they were 14 out of 57. That's right. Opponent pick pick and roll ball handlers shot 25% against Mitchell Robinson and yeah that's not a huge sample size but I mean when it's 25% you know and and usually the average there is over 50% I mean you're talking about layups here even if they're generally going to be contested out of pick and roll so uh I mean that was really really impressive the overall defensive field goal percentage at the rim allowed was 54% and That tells me that he's got to get a little bit better recognition as a help guy on drivers, that on those plays, he he hasn't had as much of an effect. Um, You know, those sprint over verticality type of plays, uh, avoiding fouling, uh, you know, those are plays where he's got to get better. Fouling had been a a problem for him, as of course uh, with many young bigs did not significantly reduce his foul rate this year it went down a little bit he was at 5.7 for 36 minutes last year 4.9 this year so but with that type of a foul rate you're gonna struggle to play more than about 20-25 minutes a game um and
2: and i would assume that his foul rate would go up if he started more regularly because he'd be facing players who are better at drawing fouls and are better players
1: Yeah, it's always interesting. You could say that. You could also say, well, when you're coming off the bench, there's no reason to be careful. That's whereas true when too. you're starting and you know you're going to play 35 minutes, it, you'll take it a little easier. But, well, you know, if you're coming off the bench and you get two quick fouls, you're probably not going to come out. Whereas you might have to if you're a starter. So
2: that's a good point. It could yeah, and lead and, and, to
1: being more judicious. And
2: that that is another frustration for me with what happened with Mitchell Robinson on this Knicks team is that they went into the 2019 offseason, You know, Mills and Perry and had. Basically, kind of, I would say Mitchell Robinson was their best holdover building block. I had him over Kevin Knox. And mostly due to supply, but also the supply they chose to implement, they just didn't really have a spot for Mitchell Robinson like in the main start. So now they're going to have to figure out probably what he is as a starting big man this coming season, if he even gets that opportunity then.
1: Well, I hope he does, because I think he is their their best prospect. And, you know, the Knicks did overall defend better than expected. I think he was a, a reasonable part of that. Uh, They were even worse offensively than I think a lot of people thought they'd be. I thought they'd be terrible. Uh, And that proved to be correct with the the lack of spacing and the lack of a high-level creator on the team. But no, I mean, I think they, you know, he's... Not dynamic enough to build around. I mean, maybe there's a thought that he could get to be, like, defensive player of the year. Love, and I thought he took some steps forward there. He still, I mean, remember the lack of high-level experience he had before this. Um, You know, basically coming out of high school, he took a year off before he got drafted. So, he's got a long way to go, but... It, I think you know what would you give him for a development rating
2: it's interesting because I think that Robinson on offense basically did the same things but I also don't blame him for that and then defensively I think he took strides forward you know lowered the foul rate a little bit uh so I'll I'll give him a five and remember a five is average a five is not bad that is this is out of ten
1: yeah I'd say this is about what I expected from him this year and again the situation particularly offensively made things difficult uh, for him Kevin Knox, it was his age 20 season, and uh, the number is still a struggle, really. Everything uh, offensively uh, did not take any type of a step forward in terms of his efficiency.
2: Right, and, and that's a big problem. I mean, so last year he played 29 minutes a game. That went down to 18, and he came off the—as a rookie, came came off the bench very little. As a, As a second-year player, came off the bench almost exclusively— and then, and, but Knox really didn't make any strides. So 8.4 PER, 47% true shooting on about 18 usage. Those were all similar to his rookie year. And then 33% on about six threes per hundred possessions. Again, similar to last year. And amazingly, one of the big criticisms I had of Knox as a rookie was that he didn't get to, he didn't get to the the basket much. And then I also wished he had gotten to the free throw line a little bit more. The free throw, free throw attempts weren't terrible, but I wish that would go up. He actually got to the line less, went from 22% of his, of his, attempts to 20% flush and basically converted all those into threes. He went from those were 40% of his shots up to 50, but so he wasn't taking away, you know, something else that was less efficient. He was taking away shots around the basket where he was 56%
1: yeah and again another guy i think who is hurt by the situation yes where if he and he does still intrigue when you watch the film there is something there i mean with his you know above average athlete above average ball handler for a combo forward type you know he is facile working in pick and roll i thought he started as the year went on to do better finding shooters on the perimeter but of course there were a few shooters on this Knicks team to find uh and but the and the numbers out of pick and roll again were terrible too many long twos not getting the basket enough not finishing well in any area in particular you know he did reduce his percentage of pick and roll possessions but still i mean the numbers on that were terrible 0.64 points per possession on uh 86 possessions this season and his two-point percentage even with the a, a relatively low usage is just totally unacceptable and so all right th- he was a very young rookie i think he got better defensively to be sure he was just atrocious defensively last year this year i thought he actually wasn't like you know he still doesn't make an impact as a help guy particularly but i thought it, he at least uh, had a higher effort level uh and and took some step forward in, in that area but Ultimately, what it comes down to here is the overall efficiency has got to get better. I mean, I think the the number one thing it just has to improve is making his jump shot more regularly on spot ups. You know, get to the point where you can actually provide something as a role player and then maybe some of this other stuff you know he's he's another one of these young role players who we talked about this is kind of putting the cart before the horse and that's not a surprise you know these guys have not had to play roles at the lower level they they were always one of the main guys on their team and so uh, i think he moved more into that uh, area this year you know over 50 percent of his attempts now were either spot ups or in transition so uh, generally playing off of others more opportunistically but he's still just uh, particularly on spot ups not being able to be a uh, I mean, the jumper looks good. Like you think.
2: Remember, think remember that was like- what people were obsessed about. His rookie year summer yeah. league was like his jump shot looks so pretty, but it, it does need to go in more. And it, it yeah, I mean, it's, it's some of it is mentality, some of it is usage, but I, I think of it as an overall thing. I mean, the offensive part, yeah, is making strides, and then defensively, he's improving. But he has to get so much better to be, you know, to be kind of yeah. playable on on a team that is better than the Knicks are. And Knox has no, the no, when
1: you start this bad, almost invariably, I mean, not almost invariably, but very likely you're just not going to have much of an impact to, in your career. But there still could be something there. Yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of your point, right? It is. That,
2: it is. It's that. It, like, it's,
1: like, you might see these flashes,
2: but. Yeah, you might you see know. flashes, and Knox. There, there could be some second draft potential with him. The idea that like kind of maybe in a way like Marquise Chris, where if you have him in a circumstance where he has to do less, that maybe he can embrace that, get a little bit more focused And a new coach. Maybe maybe you could even do an internal second draft with the Knicks if they change things over enough with whoever the next coach is. But I'm thinking it might be another circumstance. However, with Knox's, with his physical tools and his draft pedigree, you know, and going to Kentucky and everything else, I think he's going to get more chances than I would give him. but I think that there's also absolutely a possibility that one of those later chances totally works out.
1: Let's turn to Frank Nilakina, drafted number eight overall in 2017. Recall, of course, that he had that completely lost year a year ago with uh, multiple iterations of a groin injury and then even had a few struggles with that this year as well, but largely was able to play through it and, and get up to about 1200 minutes this season. And, you know, again, I think there were some things to like. Uh, about him i thought just watching him he looked better but it's really incremental steps forward in terms of some of the high line numbers once again
2: right i mean frank age 21 season 10 per 50 percent true shooting so still well below league average on 15 usage this is straight 20 it's not great it's not terrible and and with with frank i think what is a challenge to reconcile is and and with him and dante axum i made the same mistake which was the even if they can't stick as a Reliable creator offensively that they have positional size and could def- and I think they could defend well and uh, Frank definitely has I, I think that he's he's done well in that respect over his career maybe not as actually as dominant as I would have hoped but still uh, but then the idea was okay well, I I the mistake I made was I thought that transition would be easy enough and a big part of that is you have still have to create the shots you are, you still have to make the shots that are created for you even if you're not creating them as much yourself and then the margin for error actually in some ways gets because you have to be able to do the limited profile stuff well and then maybe if you can add other stuff all the better for it
1: yeah it seems like backup point guard backup combo guard at least in terms of who he can defend is maybe where he's headed which is better than he was last year obviously again yes. he had kind of that lost year and while he didn't really increase his three-point attempt rate at all I thought he took a lot more off the drill. Yeah, let me, let me take a look at that. What is his the change in terms of his assisted three pointers?
2: It actually his it actually was more assisted this year than last year. About in line with his rookie year.
1: Huh. Okay. I mean, I guess I, in watching some of the film, I just, I saw some more aggressive attempts from him off the dribble. Like there's a couple of times when he's coming down and semi-transition, even on like a three on two and pulled up from the top of the key. He, his release is still pretty slow. That's a little bit of a problem. But, you know, when the defense would go under, he would actually take the shot, you uh, and again, the, the numbers don't necessarily reflect this, but it did seem to me like he was taking attempts that were a little bit more aggressive than previously. Uh, he remains pretty solid at finding the role man in pick and roll uh but getting all the way to the rim is something that he's always struggled to do again we with the caveat of the situation he's never really had much spacing in the knicks i mean i would say probably had the worst spacing of any team maybe in the last five years on this this last team so um you know he looked a little more comfortable rising up for a mid-range jumper as well i mean he at least got to the point where it wasn't just like you could Comically, lay off him in terms of the jump shot, and that's incremental improvement. He is age 21, you know, he's had times playing overseas where he looked better shooting the ball. So, if he could get to be passable there, and with his defense, I think his passing ability is, you know, it's not unbelievable, but he's got some size and he can make the reads a, a little bit. He still can get pressured up as a dribbler, you know, his handle is not amazing. Uh, but he, he does, and he definitely is going to need a screen to get any kind of separation and attack. You know, he can't do anything in, in an isolation. But I thought it was, you know, okay for him uh, going forward. You give him for a development grade. I think
2: like a five. You know, I, I wish. Yeah, the I,
1: I might even go six just because last year was uh, such a lost year, and you oh, know, we didn't at least
2: give, we didn't give Knox a grade either. I'm going to go. I'm going to go three lower on offense, but higher on defense. I thought he improved there.
1: Yeah, yeah, three for Knox, and then yeah, Nillkey. I, I think I. Could go with the six there just because there was a concern that he was just never going to be able to shoot at all, and it, th- that took enough of a step forward that I, I felt decent about it. Um, Dennis Smith Jr., the less said, the better. Uh, last year for him, only 537 minutes. Uh, he was atrocious in PIPM, atrocious in RPM, willing the worst at his position. Uh, completely forgot how to shoot the ball, 40% true shooting. and. I mean, really, your hope is just that injuries and personal issues kind of made this a, a loss for him. Remember, he lost, uh, I think it was his stepfather early on in the season, and it wasn't really able to string together healthy minutes, and of course, the, the Knicks situation as well, but I mean, it's looking more likely than not that he's not going to have an impactful career at this point, so we, we can just move on here to Damian Dotson, unless you have anything to add on Smith.
2: Not really. Uh, let's go to Dotson. About seven points in 17 minutes a game, 10, or sorry, 11 PER, 53 53- true shooting on 17 usage all three of his seasons per true shooting and usage have been pretty rock solid similar on three pointers 36 yeah. rock
1: solid in the sense that they don't move that they
2: all. don't move not rock solid yeah. as in solid um third and very similar uh shooting to early in his career 36 percent on about 10 threes per 100 possessions and he has below average true shooting i mean you think a guy you know why would a player who shoots 36% on threes at that, that kind of volume would have below average true shooting it's because dotson never gets to the line and shot below 50% on twos um he shot more deep twos than he did restricted area and floater combined and that's a problem
1: yeah again the situation somewhat sure. of an issue there in the ability to get to the basket you're gonna have a lot of flaming bags on this team as well I continue to like Dotson. I think he plays really hard. I think he makes plays as a help defender. You know, I think he could sort of be like a poor man's Iman Shumpert back when Iman Shumpert was good. Uh, it doesn't have that type of athleticism as a leaper as Shumpert did early in his career. But, uh, you know i think he hits enough threes that attempt rate is pretty decent and he tries defensively I, I think that he you know there are a lot of mouths to feed at the shooting guard position right now for the knicks but i i think he could be a player i think he could he would be better on in a potential winning situation like he's he's gonna be a restricted free agent this year uh he's someone that i might try and snap up if i were a good team
2: and i don't think the asking price is going to be too high though you do run the risk of the Knicks matching just because their opportunity cost isn't isn't that big uh we won't talk ex- an extended basis about uh, Ignace Braz- brazdikas their second round pick he only played 53 minutes with the big club and then theo pinson who they claimed off waivers played 365 minutes for the nets in his age 24 season so
1: we'll- yeah P- pinson is a big guard not a ton of athleticism he's struggled with the shot you know i think he's been in under 30% from three for much of his career that that was the problem but as a big guard with some ball handling ability and someone who tries defensively it, it's certainly worth uh taking a look at um let's take a quick break here we'll get to boston so man it is crazy to think that i've been working with helix sleep since 2015 and i think that's because let's start with jason tatum in his uh major breakthrough in his age 21 season as he uh ascended to all-star status uh i i was a little skeptical of his all-star nomination at the time that that happened but then he had an absolutely torrid two months after that and you know clearly is, is now is uh you know a top 10 player in the eastern conference if not more and it, it, there are some big changes in his game which uh we'll get to but uh, what do we have for in terms of the highline numbers for him
2: 24 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, in 35 minutes per game on the number 3 team in the Eastern Conference. Uh, 20 PER, 56% true shooting on 29 usage. So, comparison here. Rookie year, 20 usage, then 22, now 29%, and the highest assist rate of his career, 14% of teammate baskets when he was on the floor, and... What what Tatum... What, what's pretty impressive about uh, this shift for him is... Remember, he was a very efficient three-point shooter with that ridiculous 43% his rookie year. But back then, 92% of his three-pointers were assisted. That 92% is now down to 56%. So, yeah, he shot... Thirty. He shot uh 40 percent. Let's go for the full forty from three, and that's actually worse. But forty percent when you're self creating that much is phenomenal.
1: Yeah, and it, talk a little bit more about that here. uh He's made himself into an excellent pick and roll player by the numbers. Well over a point per possession in the half court. I mean that is just outstanding. Three hundred fifty five points on three hundred forty one possessions. Now he doesn't do a ton of passing out of pick and roll. That's really the next step for him is creating efficiently for others as well, but looking at the numbers off the dribble out of pick and roll and this is not sustainable but he did do this (laughs) uh 1.23 points per possession shooting jumpers off the dribble and pick and roll and he is very comfortable now as you mentioned with those unassisted three-point looks if the defense goes under he is pulling it in particular going to his left he'll even kind of penetrate inside the arc and then take a step back for a three-pointer out of pick and roll. And so if teams are playing drop coverage, if he gets a good screen, he's going up with it from three and he shot a very, very nice percentage on those shots. He also can be effective going right. He really loves it going to his left, pulling up for that three-pointer off the dribble. And I mean, that is... I can't wait to see if Boston and the Bucks play because with Kemba Walker and Tatum you now have two guys who really can kind of break the Bucks' scheme uh, if they can get a good screen and get open at the three-point line out of pick and And so Will Tatum is taking a lot of the hard shots for this team and it still increases efficiency as you mentioned I still have skepticism that he can hold up with this type of a percentage shooting off the drill and these are very difficult attempts but if he does i mean that's just like real superstar level of stuff and you know we didn't see a ton of teams having to change their pick and roll coverage on him yet uh but a little bit more of this and that's going to get on the scouting report that you can't let this guy come off a screen and shoot a three at six nine and that's going to completely wreck defenses if you have to actually like adjust your big and pick and roll covers to take that away. So it is, that is just a really exciting development for him. Uh, he also got a lot better in his isolation game. Yeah. Was one of the worst in the NBA uh, in terms of points of possession in ISO this year. He's up uh, slightly above average in that per synergy as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, you can compare all of these numbers to last year where jumpers off the dribble out of pick and roll he was pretty much average taking it to the rim pretty much average and now he's you know in the above 80th percentile in both those so i mean the development there really outstanding and this was tatum's
2: age 21 season we could could see a lot a lot lot of growth there and he also has been productive defensively his entire career it has been a point of much debate partially because the on-off metrics love tatum's defense so much um, but he he is very good at what he does. Uh, and, and you could see part of why those I, those really like him. Steal rate, block rate, both over 2%, 19% defensive rebounds. So all those things, plus being a capable help defender, being a reliable piece in strong defenses, and defenses that you and I both feel have outperformed relative to their talent level. So he deserves a, deserves a lot of credit for that. And so it's... I I really, something I've I've grown to appreciate a lot more about Tatum, including during the hiatus, is the idea of somebody who is kind of a higher usage fulcrum offensively, but then plays this important complementary role defensively. Like you could, that's not a a very common combination, but I think it works well for him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I think that Tatum, defensively, one of the best nail help defenders in the NBA and then he got much stronger and he started to be better as an on-ball guy uh, memorably in that game at home against the Clippers where he's guarding Kawhi Leonard in the overtime doing a decent job whereas uh, previously you'd see him get overpowered I think he's gotten stronger he's gotten tougher as an individual defender so I I mean I I would have to give him a nine for his development rating this year is really uh, uh, I thought he was a little bit overrated where he was in terms of how good he actually was last year and you know there's a lot of talk that he didn't take the step forward people wanted last year but I mean especially with this three-point shooting off the dribble and the defensive improvement I mean yeah you you, uh you have to imagine that he's on a superstar path at this point now
2: yeah it, it certainly it certainly does look that way and I, I, I'm interested in where where it goes, and I mean, it looks like Tatum and, and Jalen Brown are going to be together for a long time. I would assume Kevin Walker will be there as well. So how they divvy up possessions, how they how it works defensively, but I mean, that combination is going to be really exciting, and there's going to be a lot of turnover in the Eastern Conference, I mean, just like everything else over the next few years, and where they fit in and, and is going to be fascinating. We can jump to a player who's less certain in all of this, but still intriguing, Grant Williams, one of the first rounders that the celtics had in the 2019 draft out of tennessee three and a half points 2.7 rebounds and about 16 minutes per game aper mostly because he his usage rate was below 12 percent and also we we've this has come up a couple different times but he just couldn't hit a shot out, out for a long stretch during the season 25 percent on yeah 4. i think 2. he i
1: want to say he missed either his first 25 or 26 three-pointers something like that
2: yeah And worth noting that Williams shot 29% on threes in college but it was only 103 attempts in three full collegiate seasons but he was a 76% free shooter.
1: yeah so uh, he's everyone loves him in terms of uh, his smarts he definitely earned a rotation role particularly as the season went along uh, he could even play some center they like to have him switch a little bit and he doesn't have the length or, or athleticism uh, of say a, a Draymond Green uh, in, at least defensively but he has quick enough feet that I don't think he's just going to get lit up in a switch situation particularly with the uh, active help defenders behind him so he does uh, perhaps unlock those types uh, of lineups Uh, also at the rim you know does a lot of verticality stuff just a very active help defender excellent communicator Um, not huge in terms of the numbers as a rebounder but he is a huge box out guy and so that's fine with me I I don't think he needs to have high numbers there because he always finds a body uh, on the defensive glass to free up rebounds for his teammates but it just it comes down to that shooting of just you know can he avoid being a massive liability offensively uh, you know, that's really the question, and they'll tell you that he shoots it better and you know i think he's getting more aggressive and he did shoot it better after that terrible start but that's really going to be the swing skill if he starts to shoot the ball pretty well on open threes then i think you're really going to have like a very solid role player who's going to be a part of what they're doing for a long time but that's uh if he can't make shots he's going to be a liability in the playoffs he's got to improve that aspect of his game but the other building blocks are there
2: right and i think one way of discussing this is that both rpm and uh, PIPM, like Grant Williams as a defensive player, RPM has him even, which is not terrible for a rookie, and PIPM had him as positive, but he was a, a much larger negative on offense in both of those metrics, and if the offense becomes passable and the defense improves like you expect it to for a smart <clears throat> 21-year-old 20- who can also improve his body, then I'm talking about a real player, and I'm not necessarily sure whether that's as a starter or a closer or just an important piece in rotation, but I, I still do see that potential
1: yeah one other kind of fun thing for him is he was a college power forward and scorer and when he gets a mismatch a lot of times they're going to hide players on him he'll duck into the post hard yes and he only only 18 possessions in the post but 1.3 points per possession there and you know he's not getting fancy he's just putting your ass in the goal at the charge circle catching it either getting fouled or laying it in as a finisher he's not incredibly athletic Uh, but he will find opportunistic times to cut he'll get on the offensive glass on occasion as well you know he's not going to be able to go get an alley-oop or something like that uh and he, if he's playing center and he's trying to score inside against the center then he's going to struggle in that position but yeah i mean just the overall versatility and smarts uh, a guy that I, I have some high hopes for um it's turned out to robert williams in his age 22 season it just seemed like he continually got derailed some of that was injuries some of it was uh, the personal issues that he had early on in terms of like not even being on time um and some of it is just committing a ton of fouls so he can't stay on the court but i mean some of the flashes that he shows are highly intriguing
2: they really are. And, and Robert Williams, physically gifted center and what, one who, I mean, I, I think of his, you know, the defense as, as, an, as a really intriguing overall package. One note here is that opponents made 64% of the shots at the rim when Robert Williams defended them. That is a very a very small sample size for Williams this year because he only, he only played 300 minutes. But remember that last year that was 52.3%, which is more in the range that's better than we, Mitchell Robinson, which we just talked about before. So, one, there can be some noise and some variance, but, I mean, when a guy only plays 300 minutes a year, you're going to get a lot more of that. But I like... His defensive rebounding chops, that was up to 24%. Block rate still great. And uh intriguingly, doubled his steal rate. So from 1.5% of uh possessions to 3%. So that that and 3% is a number that basically anybody would be happy with. But again, we're dealing with small sample size here. And then really the question in some ways for me, so it's can he defend without fouling? You know, so the foul rate, um, he was at 4.6 fouls per 36 minutes last year, dropped that all the way to 4.5, so one-tenth of one foul. <laughs> Um, that needs to drop down if he's going to be a starter, and even if it's a lower minute starter. If if Danny Ainge ends up going with something more like what the Warriors have done, which I think Robert Williams would be a logical fit for, but also becoming you know ramping ramping up the offense a little bit, even maybe getting a little bit more extreme in terms of kind of pushing it in terms of usage, and maybe getting a little bit more R- Mitchell Robinson-y of not taking anything other than dunks.
1: Yeah, you know he offensively he does have some nascent passing ability yes he will he will kind of dribble it every once in a while too which yeah that's mixed results uh at best there um but you know you can make like a quick fake dho take a couple dribbles and get to the rim at times uh you know certainly an excellent lob finisher that's always going to be the foundation of his offensive game he's shown some desire to shoot the jump shot but that's not really going to be his game at any point particularly on this team where they have so many other options so defensively it was very interesting uh always loved his potential as a switch defender and small numbers there in terms of the number of times that he faced isolations but just watching it it looked awesome i mean he was blocked a a number of guys shots almost always gets a pretty good contest every once in a while he'd get caught in the air and foul being over aggressive but that was really awesome uh he kind of reminds me of clint capella in that way because capella he got better as a pick and roll defender conventionally but is always kind of better as a switch guy i'd say robert williams is actually even better than Clint capella as a switch guy uh in terms of his naturally. i mean he's just got very very quick hands uh, as well either for blocks or steals but as a pick and roll defender uh, the numbers were ugly you mentioned that the defensive field goal percentage at the rim was not good and again small sample size on this but i noticed that his technique really was not great uh, on the pick and roll uh, a lot of times he would struggle communicating with the guard in terms of when to late switch and so he would end up switching but after the ball handler already had an opening in the mid-range and then he would surge towards the guy panic and the guy would blow by him uh or he would they would just miscommunicate the guy would get a wide open mid-ranger um so i i thought that they maybe they can benefit just by being even more aggressive where they're just going to switch everything the other problem too is that you know if they're going to be going out of an iso every time you might start picking up some fouls so great raw tools the craft as a pick and roll defender not really there right now and just needs to get more experience so he's just he's got to stay healthy man i mean i think the guy can really be a player but it's just uh he's gotta actually get on the court and get the experience oh. um, what would you give him for a development rating
2: an in incomplete he just didn't play enough
1: Yeah, I mean, and he didn't play hardly at all last year either. Um, Let's go. to But I mean, he, he did have some effective moments to be sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Romeo Langford.
2: Yeah, the number fourteen pick in the twenty nineteen draft, uh, taken above Grant Williams, and he also only played about three hundred minutes this year for the Celtics, two ninety eight to be exact. Langford played in twenty seven games and averaged eleven minutes per game, just twelve usage and forty seven percent true shooting. And a big challenge there was the the three point shooting. So Langford shot twenty seven percent on threes his his year at Indiana. Shot twenty two on just 3.73s per 100 possessions if you preferred in per 36 just 2.8 per 36 minutes and that kind of feeds together he also had six total assists in nba minutes and uh but interestingly for for the on off stats he was pretty much a neutral in defensive pipm and rpm but then was a big negative on offense and you would expect that with 47 percent shooting in a super low usage
1: yeah the defense uh uh did impress me agreed uh, during the you know he actually like made some plays as a hopes for I mean he's more of a shooting guard sized guy but a big shooting guard uh and but made plays as a help defender you know didn't get totally chewed up i think as he gets stronger he can definitely be a quality option which was somewhat in contrast to his reputation as just like you know high school scoring guard um you know there was hope that due to this thumb injury that's why he shot so poorly at indiana but clearly uh massive struggles from three you mentioned the attempt rate was down he's really just not looking to shoot anything above the break at the nba level five out of 24 on spot ups at the nba level and then in the g league where he played seven games the numbers were not particularly encouraging there either uh five out of 23 on threes in the g league and only one free throw attempt per game one assist per game in 23 minutes a game he did shoot it above 50% on twos at least 20% usage uh also like pretty terrible rebounding for the G League I mean don't, he's above average physical tools for the G League and to only have 6% total rebound percentage in the G League is not good uh, as well and you know I mean, the Celtics when they have to send these guys down to Maine they don't just say hey just roll the ball out to you and shoot every time you I mean, they want him to be part of the team but uh it, those numbers were not particularly encouraging either so uh, he's really as you like to say a man without a country offensively right now I and mean, that's that's the bigger problem where it's just he can't shoot threes you're not going to give him the ball you know, he has these ball skills we haven't really seen those get used much uh, uh that was kind of the theory of drafting him 14th overall but just what the hell does he do offensively other than like cut in and try and pick up some scraps every once in a while at this point so so that's the problem i think he's got some potential Uh, we talked about him as you know maybe someone who could unexpectedly evolve into a star given his profile at the high school level but i'm not particularly sanguine about his chances of doing that and offensively just is not anywhere close to being good but you know i think the defense is encouraging but he's just got a long long way to go offensively
2: well we'll spend a little bit less time on boston's other other young players partially due to uh playing time stuff and also just being in different phases so shemi the brick shithouse as you often call him three points two rebounds and 15 minutes per game Actually went above fifty five percent true shooting, up to fifty six percent this year, but only eight point eight percent usage, which is crazy low. OKC Thunder Escaló. Um, the reason Ojale's true shooting was pretty good is because he made thirty seven percent of his threes, which was up to up from thirty two percent. But he um, he only made thirty four percent of his shots in the restricted area, which is down from seventy two percent last year and. And actually more in line with his rookie year and then so Ojale it's 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 really the same question like we know he can defend you you can't move the guy but can he do enough to keep oppo- opponent defenses honest and engaged
1: yeah and he can even move his feet well too i mean i think he can credibly guard just about anybody on a switch he's not gonna make him uncomfortable like he's not a playmaking kind of defender but he's just a solid guy that is tough to get past due to his strength and his feet and yeah i was encouraging that he shot more threes this year that he shot a better percentage looked more aggressive but yeah he's not really athletic enough to finish inside at a high rate and so i think he, he's a good uh, the nice thing about him is you can throw him out there even in a playoff situation as they have the last two years and you know he can get some time on a, a Giannis or a lebron and not completely embarrass himself and maybe you know he can make some wide open threes so you know, he's kind of a break glass in case of emergency situation who's not going to kill you but also uh, the upside particularly with this having been his age 25 season isn't necessarily there he'll, he'll be an interesting uh restricted free agent Do they have a team option on him this for this year is that right or did they was that last year
2: i think it's a non i think it's a non-guaranteer team option no.
1: let, let me let me actually answer that question
2: i have it as a team option a non-guaranteed team option maybe that's why we were getting confused and, ah, yes. and that's really smart this came up i was i was talking about monte morris in the northwest division because if you have a team option that means danny ainge can choose to make ogilay a restricted free agent this year or basically pay him the minimum next year and that, that's a pretty good deal for the Celtics. They can kind of calibrate the market. I think you might want to roll the dice and just say... Because he would be unrestricted if you pick up the team option after the 2020-21 season.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, the thing is, I think is it's probably that his qualifying offer will be higher than what his uh i mean you want to talk about with the agent first his qualifying offer probably higher than what his team option number would be if you yeah. just locked him in so you'd want to do that maybe you'd say hey we'll give you another guaranteed year at the minimum now uh if we opt you out you'd want to have some kind of an idea there b- sure. beforehand um quickly here carson edwards didn't do much at the big league level he had this massive preseason game against the Cavs where he had like 25 and a quarter but the shooting at the g league level just was not good enough i mean 28 percent on threes at the g league level and yeah he scored a lot he was a the big option uh in the g league but as a 6-1 guard you just got to make shots better i mean if he's not in the high 30s from three just forget about it he's an doesn't really do much off the dribble not really a passer he does try hard defensively but he's uh, obviously undersized and you know i think there could be a role for him if the shooting gets better because they've got all these ball handlers with size and so he could play an off-ball role fill it up and then defend the opposing team's point guard uh, but he's just got to shoot better and you know with this being only his age 21 season uh, even though it seemed like he was around forever in college so i'm uh i'm not writing him off yet i mean we've seen a lot of like gary Trent, for example shot at poorly last year he, he got back to it. he's got a pretty good pedigree as a shooter it's not taken the easiest uh, of attempts but uh just got to make more. You know, he, he never seriously figured for a rotation spot in Boston this season.
2: Um, briefly, Javante Green out of Radford. This is age 26 season, but the first year he played NBA minutes. Uh, th- 414, so actually more than, than Romeo Lankford and Carson Edwards. Averaged three points, two two rebounds, and actually above average true shooting. But he, he only took 23 three-pointers, so 26% on those. So it's just a, a, it was a small sample, but he's a talented athlete at bare minimum
1: yeah i definitely like green the shot is the big question mark for him but as a transition guy as a cutter gets way up there for ellie and has the athleticism to compete pretty well defensively like to see him get a little bit stronger if you want to have him handle some of the absolute best guys but you know, i mean he definitely popped last year in summer league definitely i think should be on an nba roster at a minimum Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tucks from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because Okay, who's up next here, Danny?
2: Oh, let's go to the Toronto Raptors. Um, and we'll start with OG Ananobi. This will be his last year in this because it's his, after his third season with the Raptors. And we've talked a fair amount about OG in other contexts, but to give some of the basic stuff, 10 points, 10 points, five rebounds, 30 minutes per game. Thankfully, you know, after after such a weird second year where he only played 1,300 minutes and dealt with injuries and everything else, back up to 1,900, which is, which is great. We've talked about his defense. And importantly for Ananobi... 30% on five point four threes per 100 possessions. That was, oh, sorry, actually, uh, yeah, 5.4 per 100 possessions. That's actually down from last year, but the percentage is up, which is important. That's what allowed him to be over league average and true shooting, 60% on four point fourteen point four usage.
1: Yeah, and Ananobi got even better defensively this year. We've mentioned that he might be the one guy we'd want guarding a random player in an iso at the end of the game he is impossible to overpower 7-2 wingspan very athletic challenges shots Uh, I think he got better within the team scheme as well this year and so all he has to do is just find ways to be a support player offensively he could be a powerful driver going to his right hand he's not gonna ever pass it once he puts the ball on the ground but uh, he's a good finisher he can get up for some big dunks so uh you know he he's right on on track for me I and mean, we've talked about him a ton we're gonna see him a ton in the playoffs it, so uh you know nothing but compliments for him I, I'd give him a seven for his uh, development this year especially after the struggles last year mostly due to injury and uh personal absences
2: yeah so let's let's jump to Terrence Davis Davis is a fascinating story he played college at Ole Miss and then was on the Denver Nuggets summer league team for exactly one game where he played well enough that Masai Ujiri gave him a guaranteed contract for the Toronto Raptors, and then he didn't play in the rest of summer league. And we saw why. Terrence Davis averaged eight points, 3.4 rebounds in 17 minutes per game, became a at one point a garbage time-breaking crew, and then eventually, beyond that, a 5- 14.5 PER, 60% true shooting on 19 usage, and 40% on almost 10 threes per possessions, which was about 60% of all the shots that he took were
1: And that was above what his previous track record had been. I I expect that that number is going to come down.
2: I I do too. I mean, so he was 37% his last year at Ole Miss, but he was 34% over the four years combined. And I think you want to look at the whole sample, not just the final year there. And interestingly, Davis absolutely loved by RPM. RPM had him as the number six shooting guard just above Devin Booker and just below other RPM darling, Dante DiVincenzo. A little bit more neutral in PIPM, which had him as a slight positive... a modest positive on offense and a slight negative on defense so he was you know, more like in the dennis Schroeder range there um i i liked it i'm not sure if davis what he does necessarily translates to being a starter on a team as good as the raptors but he definitely feels to me like a rotation player
1: oh for sure yeah and he got about 55 percent of his offense out of either spot ups or transition so certainly playing a complementary role but did have the ability to really find opportunities in those areas and also as a driver can look really good he got up for some nasty dunks in the game we saw in person against the Warriors and pick and roll ball handler numbers there were ugly and not really that's something that maybe you'll run on the backside every once in a while um but no i mean he could definitely play he's got plus nba athleticism and it defensively was better than advertised it, so i think you know certainly a rotation player going forward it, it looked very good um chris boucher we could talk about a little bit i mean this is crazily his age 27 season but he played a lot in a backup center role with the injuries to ibaka and gasol 724 four minutes will be a restricted free agent and you know he did not shoot the three ball well but he took a few of them and he had at least kind of pretend to guard him out there a little bit and as a pick and roll finisher looked pretty good uh, offensively and very thin but does uh, provide some rim protection as well so uh, really the Three point percentage is what's going to determine where he goes from here. He's he's probably never going to be strong enough to be a starting center, but as a quality backup option, you could definitely see it from him. Worth noting, of course, he was coming off a torn ACL and uh, back in college, and so maybe there are some health questions there. And I think he was already 24 essentially when the the Warriors signed him to a two
0: way.
2: Yeah, so we'll see what Boucher gets as a restricted free agent. I. We talk about it a lot for international players, but I feel badly for a player who went to American college. He's He was born in St. Lucia, but still went to an American college. And um, that when they become a restricted free agent after, let's say, the age of 25, but that's just the way it works, and I think he's going to get squeezed by the market, and that could end up being good for the Raptors if, for whatever reason, they want to retain cap space for the 2021 offseason. Maybe they, will still, they could still have Chris Boucher on their roster. The Raptors also had a ton of other guys with very limited NBA experience, but they didn't really play that many minutes. So I think we can, we can kind of pass by all of them briefly.
1: Yeah. Let's turn to the Sixers and Matisse Theibel. Well known. We've talked about it many times on this show. Uh, maybe one of the best help defenders I've ever seen already, uh, at the, uh, as a wing player, uh, skinny, but great wingspan, the master of blocking jump shots from behind uh, in rear view contests uh, or even just coming over from the weak side at at the nail he's another one of those great nail defenders and I mean the the stats uh, on some of his defense uh, are nearly unprecedented.
2: Thibault, as a rookie 3.5 steal percentage 3.1 block percentage only three players in the last 20 years have had 3% 3% in both of those in over a 1000 minutes. Gerald Wallace in 0506 and Nerlens Noel in 1617. And there have only been 40 player seasons over that same 20 years with 2.5 and 2.5 and he blew past that number there. You get some you get some big names of course when you get into that and also a bunch of Gerald Wallace and Andre Kirilenko. Um so so that's unusual. And Thibault also like one of the things that excites me about him is kind of piecing together the role player offense more than I expected as a rookie he wasn't somebody that I watched a ton of when he was at UW, but 35% on 6.2 threes per 100 possessions took more threes than twos, but also 50% on twos. You're, you're okay with that, didn't get to the line very much doesn't get to the basket a ton just 25% of his shots but when 60% of them are coming from threes and basically it's just it's the Mori ball it's threes and threes and at the basket only about 10% of his shots are from three feet to long two. so I mean defensive playmaker we'll have to keep an eye on the foul rate and a bunch of other things but I I'm so excited to see where things go for Theibel and his fit on this Sixers team is interesting, but also where they could evolve because that was something I talked about with Derek Bodner on Real Jam Radio during the hiatus was the idea that maybe the best case scenario for Thibault is that if the Josh Richardson situation goes sideways, he has that player option after next season and say he wants more money or the Sixers are too expensive, that Thibault could jump into that spot as a, like a guard defender who just plays off ball next to Ben Simmons. And it's like, yeah, that could work.
1: Yeah, thigh not as good on the ball right. as a defender. Uh, a little bit thin still. You know, more strength could make him more of a problem on the ball. Uh, I think he's better against smaller guys because he can really get that rear view contest. He's not unbelievable getting over screens. He's not unbelievable tracking shooters off the ball and I wouldn't necessarily want him to be in that role because you don't want to have him glued to a guy I think you want to have him give him the license to roam uh, to some degree but you know if he's playing with uh, I mean other guys like Josh Richardson and Ben Simmons do that well too so he's and he certainly is not bad uh, in those more shutting down his man situations but you know if he can add a little bit more strength and not foul quite as much in one-on-one situations, then he could be a real problem there as well. But he still is, is a massive plus already. And, and as you mentioned, the three-pointer was better than expected. Always, You're always a little wary on these 3 and D guys when they shoot better than expected, that it could regress. That was not his reputation coming out of school. No problem shooting the ball for Shake Milton this year, though.
2: No, sir. So Milton, he shoots a lot of his threes. It's assisted, so he's you know kind of like one of those guys who can sell. He self-created a lot of his twos, but then was did not self-create a lot of his threes. Shea Gildas Alexander is another player who has that general distribution, but Shake Milton, forty-five percent on eight point four threes per hundred possessions. He played six hundred eleven minutes, most more skill, stilted or shifted towards the end of the pre-hiatus season. So we'll see where he fits in on the, the Sixers once we yeah. get back. I mean, it looks like he might start. Yeah. And something that you brought up is that, yeah, I mean, Milton's shooting 45% through anybody alive shooting 45% on threes especially in that kind of volume even in small sample size is ridiculous but something you brought up was that it is sure ridiculous but he also made a ton of threes when he was at SMU
1: yeah 43% from three in college including like over 40% every year and then 38% in the G League He was a little bit different of a role in the G League where he's up to 29% usage he, he, and this is over the last two seasons and so he wasn't shooting as many spot up threes there yeah you know, I would like to see the volume get up even higher I mean you know 8.43 per hundred possessions is a decent amount, but it's not quite, you know, shooting specialist type of level. You know, he, he's still kind of in his heart, seems like more of a pick and roll kind of guard. And he's got that ability. His numbers were actually pretty average out of pick and roll. He's not enough in, of an athlete to really get to the basket and finish explosively. And his passing ability is more kind of average shooting guard level of passing ability than point guard passing ability so you know he's not really comfortable coming off of screens off the ball as a shooter but he will take threes off the dribble every once in a while and started to get more comfortable particularly i I think he had like a 37 point game against the clippers or something where he had maybe most of those through three quarters and you know he started to get hot there and really hunt some three-pointers in that game so yeah i mean he's i don't know if he's quite the panacea he's also you know a little step slow on defense and not a great athlete you know, i mean he's not gonna kill you but he's not gonna he's someone who could potentially get taken but at least he does playoffs. have
2: some positional size like if there's a guy who's yeah. kind of like a weak link who's six five i feel a lot better about it than somebody who's trey young size
1: fair, fair enough uh Zaire smith a second Ugh. straight season where he did nothing at the nba level only 32 minutes in his age 20 season of course so he had the issues with the peanut allergy a year ago and, and barely played lost much of weight so it was a, a struggle for him and then at the g league you know i watched him at the showcase just didn't really seem to be a special player at the g league level either you know his athleticism didn't stand out that much but you know i mean i even heard a report that he's like 6'2 in reality and said you know he's listed at 6'4 he basically was a high school center and college power forward and he's got good athleticism but he didn't really pop at the g league level when i saw him either um the three-pointer still needs to come around a lot but it, even the the kind of effort stuff that kind of like necessarily little the effort stuff that he was supposed to be awesome at that hasn't really come around either but you know this year level is a true combo its size zyra smith that isn't necessarily really you know maybe he could guard threes but um and then now that he's gonna miss this camp with a, a bone bruise you know it seems like uh his career is uh really in the doldrums right now
2: well and and something to mention there is that remember what the trade was so the sixers drafted mikhail bridges whose mother worked for the team and then they traded down this was colangelo i believe traded down uh
1: this would have been this would have been post colangelo this would yeah this would have been yeah it was this was like he had gotten fired like a couple
2: of weeks oh that's right it was right before the draft yeah um so they moved down from 10 to 16 got zyra smith and they also picked up miami's 2021 first we'll see how that ends up but i mean mikhail bridges could help this team (laughs) Shea, they, they
1: already traded they already traded that 2021 first to the clippers
2: i believe they, they did uh, i believe that was in yeah, the in that in was the in the spice harris, harris yeah. deal and so um and i think it's changed hands again since then to uh yeah, to yeah now it's uh OKC, yeah. yeah and so you think about the not only the drop from mikhail bridges desire smith but here here are the players that were taken from 10 to, to 16 mikhail bridges shay Gilgis alexander miles bridges jerome robinson michael porter jr troy brown jr so it's like, not all hits, but there were some players there that would really help the Sixers.
1: on Korkmaz, age 22 season, you recall he had his option declined, and but then uh, returned due to apparently a lack of other options and... I he looked pretty good yep. this season and you know, he was in the rotation 40 percent on 11 threes per hundred possessions that's pretty solid uh and it, he had been lower than that before and he's kind of always been a little bit more of a scorer than a shooter and you know, he's continued to refine his ability to work within a role this year um got a little stronger wasn't as pathetic defensively as he had been although he's still a liability there but i don't think he's a starter but as a bench shooter and in, in the regular season i think he's carved out a role as a rotation guy this year
2: talk briefly about norvell pell he,
1: uh so yeah development for him would probably be like a seven i'd say yeah
2: i mean i, I yeah i would say maybe even go with an eight but it was mostly just because the threes went in but going from 33 to 40 on the volume that Quirkma shoots that makes him an nba player
1: yeah, he's got some pretty good versatility to his jump shot.
2: Right. Uh So Norval Pell, this was his age 26 season and his first year playing NBA minutes. Pell was a, originally a two-way player, but then became a, a full a full NBA guy, averaged 2.3 rebounds and over a block in less than 10 minutes per game, which is pretty incredible. He had the, his block rate was 12% in his NBA minutes this year. And I gets blocks gets defensive rebounds i see him as a potentially intriguing backup center but that's totally fine you know i I don't think he needs to be more than that to be worth the basically no money they're paying him
1: well yeah and they converted him from a a two-way he's got a non-guarantee next year with a guarantee date Uh, five days into the new regular season and he did beat out kyle o'quinn for a a backup center role which was good and he he had games where he really made an impact around the basket defensively but by playing hard and you know he's basically just a a alley-oop dunks on one end and uh bouncy skinny shot blocker on the other end but uh you know when you have that kind of profile you play hard you can carve out an nba role i thought he definitely looks like an nba player to me um i jonah bolden once the apple of ri age 24 season only played 14 minutes so you imagine he is not long for this team going forward is he even still on the team
2: i think he might have gotten cut
1: oh yeah why'd you write him down
2: because he was on the basketball reference rosters (laughs) and it's jonah bolden (laughs) he went to ucla i'm gonna i'm gonna have i'm gonna throw him on if i'm if i'm unsure yeah
1: yeah well he didn't have a stellar career at ucla either and then uh mario shayok I just, I've always really been impressed with the way he shoots the ball. He's 24, not particularly athletic, but uh, just uh, that guy really, really can shoot the ball. And I think there's maybe, especially in an NBA that's continued to evolve to appreciate that skill set. I mean, he was someone who had no profile whatsoever. I mean, but when he was drafted, people were like, who the hell is this guy? But I, I, think, I think there's... There's some hope for him just because he shoots it that well. And he's got, you know, 6'4", six, 6'5", six, decent size.
2: Yeah, and so in, in the G League, just briefly, he played 1,000 minutes. Shayok had a—he had 57% true shooting on 32 usage. And so, yeah, if you can translate any of that, even become like a low-end rotation player, that'd be great for the, the, the Sixers. And this will come up, like I was working actually on their offseason preview, which won't come out until they're eliminated, so— Wait for that, but the the idea that they're going to need low cost contributors because this team is going to get so expensive so quickly, and I don't know how much their ownership is willing to go there. So then, getting m- minutes, getting you know play from Pell and from Shayak, Shayak, and some of the other guys is going to be absolutely crucial, especially when they have guys that you don't want to eat their innings in the regular season,
1: like Joel B. Let's turn to the Nets now. Jared Allen in his age 21 season. What are the uh, high-level stats uh, on him?
2: 11 points, 10 rebounds, 1.3 blocks, and about 26 minutes per game. Pre-hiatus, 58 starts. We will see how that continues post-hiatus. Remember the removal of Kenny Atkinson? Well,
1: I, I mean, he's going, he's going to start, though, because
2: yeah. DeAndre Jordan's is not going. Yeah, so. I guess that's true. I guess we'll have to wait until next season if he's still on the Nets at that point. Allen also had a 20 PER, 66% true shooting on 15 usage. Those are down from his first and second years. Still not taking threes, but his efficiency is because he takes three-quarters of shots in the restricted area and makes three-quarters of them, so gonna- gonna do pretty well there. Um... And then, I mean, defensively, block shots, not at like the Norvell Pell or um, Chris Boucher level of like 8% block rate, but 4.3, totally good with that. And 25% defensive rebounds was a career high for Allen as well.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. He actually, as a pure shot blocker, disappointed me a little bit. I, mean, I would he's agree. Got Like 7.5 seven, wingspan, but, uh, you know, his timing is not unbelievable. Now, he does have that 51% deep field goal percentage allowed at the rim. And as we know, the Nets largely play a pretty conservative style Um, so where he's playing two-on-two defensively. um, But a lot of times, I, I mean, he's sort of... You can see this by some of the numbers, those same ones we looked at for Mitchell Robinson when pick and roll ball handlers take it to the basket against Allen they're shooting really well they're shooting almost 60 percent on those plays when he's the the pick and roll defender and you know part of that is just that a lot of times he's kind of stuck in this two-on-one situation on the back line he's not getting a lot of help and he'll kind of faint towards the ball handler and I think try to stay behind the roll man at the same time and then he doesn't have like unbelievable recovery speed to get guys when they're not expecting it the way like a Mitchell Robinson would, for example, and and yeah, not not necessarily perfect scheme congruence between the Nets and the Knicks. But I think that's that's interesting to see that you know he wasn't able to have as much of an effect there. I think as a help defender, he was he's been better, um, but in pick and roll, he's just he's in a tough situation. He's not elite as a pick and roll defender despite having decent feet and you know, those long arms you know i think of him as kind of an average-ish defensive center at this point in time would that be how you see it as well
2: it would and Allen, to me he's probably you know age 21 season gonna pigeonhole us this top 20 but probably not top 10 and almost definitely not top five center and there are worse places to yeah be-
1: even top 20 might be high for me at this point <laughs>
2: I I am okay I'm okay with him in that in that general range. Hold
1: on, let, let me let me look at what I had for the center rankings. I think we did those I don't think any games have been played since yeah. then, so
2: also, I'm not necessarily saying right now. I'm kind of looking a little bit into the future because I think he'll keep getting better.
1: Yeah, no, no, I, and uh, I guess that was the idea of this the center ranking too. I had Jared Allen ranked as ooh, yeah, not the, not very high. Had him kind of in like the the 20s, uh, but in in a tier from like 20 to 30. Um,
2: yeah, I had him in a tier from 16 to 30.
1: Uh, development rating five. Yeah, Chris Chioza, I guess we should discuss him because he might be the net starting point guard. Uh, he's undersized at the point guard position. Uh, really, the big appeal is his ability to shoot the three pointer. I think of kind of like a slower DJ Augustin type. I don't think he has that type of distribution ability either. But he shot the ball pretty well at the G League level and in limited minutes at the NBA level from three. Uh, but, and he's kind of stocky, but, you know, definitely way undersized as. A, a point guard defensively and so I, the main appeal is just the shooting ability i mean he can kind of caretake it move move it along but you know he was on a two-way for a reason for uh most of the last couple of years that uh, played in florida uh, in college um quickly here just a, a news not much to report um i think we mentioned that spencer dinwiddie is going to be out and the Nets signed jamal crawford on, on the last show um andre Robertson actually practiced yesterday and went through everything that's really encouraging to see that he might actually who knows maybe he'll actually play maybe I mean he can't be much worse than some of those other guys uh, that we've talked about uh, in uh, playing extra roles for the Thunder and then uh, for Washington Thomas Bryant and Gary Payton the second if tested positive for COVID-19 not in the bubble this was beforehand so they are not in Florida with the team right now and the uh, the hope That is growing by the day. We have not heard of any positive coronavirus tests from within the NBA bubble. We've seen that teams are actually starting to practice, starting to have close contact, though it seems like they're doing a pretty good job of distancing and wearing masks outside of that. So, I mean, if we can get through the next four or five days without any reports of positive tests, I think we'll be doing really good. I will add the caveat, though, that it seems like there is very little transparency right now about anything. With this bubble, you don't have teams i think having any direct contact with the media i mean i think maybe there's some media that are like in practices but it doesn't seem like they're even doing many in-person interviews right now all the pressers are, are about zoom we've got uh reporters having to zapruder film this and see all right who have we seen film of who haven't we seen film of you know there's that pelicans had a positive coronavirus test but we no one had any idea who it was and it, it appears that uh, that might have been josh gray for them i think is was a, a two-way guy so um eric spolstra said he's not even allowed to say who's there and who isn't due to uh some of the privacy regulations the heat remember had supposedly had two positive players in the rotation in addition to Derek jones jr they've got 15 of the 17 i think that they're eventually gonna uh, have uh, there right now so maybe there's some of these tests could be getting covered up and they're never gonna get out i mean they're just without reporters being at in locker rooms or being around you just don't have the ability to get this stuff and i think when it gets to just like regular injuries too we're probably going to just get like absolutely nothing because the teams now you know it used to be if you had media actually coming into practice you'd see who wasn't there you'd see if someone was doing rehab work etc and you know it'd be hard to cover up if there was some kind of an injury now i think it's just kind of like at the discretion of the team so if you're dealing with like gambling here i would if i were a gambler i would not be a happy camper with this total lack of transparency but uh our best information right now at least is that nobody has yet tested positive from inside the bubble and everyone's there now too we're recording this as a saturday so hopefully uh that continues to be the case fingers crossed i mean i think if we can get through these next five six days with no positive tests i I feel very optimistic Uh, about their ability to get this thing done. You know, I mean, then your next real inflection point probably would be when families come and That's, you know, after the first round of the playoffs. Hopefully they're still avoiding close contact with the the Disney workers. That would be the other potential issue. But uh, yeah, that'll do it for today. And uh, we will be back uh, probably
0: either uh, Wednesday or Thursday night. We'll talk to y'all then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic.